Welcome back to Not Alone, a podcast about faith and well-being. We are so glad you're listening. Even though the pandemic has waned and normal life has resumed to a large degree, some of its broader effects can still be observed, particularly within the job market. In what has been called the Great Resignation, many companies have reported staffing shortages, and the workforce seems less eager to return to old form. In this episode, we're going to take a closer look at this phenomenon, why it seems like people don't want to work anymore, what Christians in America think about vocation in general, and what we can actually learn from the teachings of Jesus. Here, as always, are Michael McCord, Lindsay Geist, and Evan DeYoung. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another wonderful episode of the Not Alone podcast, the podcast that discusses faith and well-being, and two podcasters who, well, I guess I'm looking at two people, so I said two, but there's three of us, three (laughs) podcasters who are very excited to be back and discussing the great resignation well, per- perhaps one of us isn't excited and you you knew that <laughs> you oh, just blew no. somebody's cover two podcasters yeah. that are excited to be here and one, that one still feels not. obligated <laughs> <laughs> one is following the law of prior commitment <laughs> it's just my new year's resolution <laughs> that's it that's it we hope that you are well I'm Evan DeYoung, and I'm here with Lindsay Geist and Michael McCord. We're very excited to be here with you. Say hi to the people. Hey, everybody. Good day, everyone. <laughs> oh, yes, that was great. <laughs> Good day, everyone. Good day. So this week, we are talking about the Great Resignation. Now, we're not just going to be talking about this specific cultural event, but the things that it makes us think of and where, why, how, and jobs in general, and all sorts of stuff in between. So somebody tell us, when we say the Great Resignation, what are we talking about? Well, if you stay through the whole show today, someone at the end might resign. Yeah, that, that's true. Maybe that should be the opening question. It's, so it's the possible. Great Resignation, <laughs> apparently a lot of people are quitting. Uh, have you guys quit yet? Uh, Every day. <laughs> I mean, if only two of us are excited about this podcast, maybe the third one will quit by the time we finish recording today. That's it. <laughs> seems like seems like we haven't. We're all still here, so. Oh, I, I do. I do often joke, somewhat, somewhat, realistically, that uh, I quit every day, and then I, I, I rehire myself at the at the next morning. You have to earn it every day. Yeah, every yeah, just. Just because, just because it's it's a it's a challenging environment these days to be in in mm-hmm. leadership in a faith tradition um, such as ours, where we that's find ourselves. True. So it's one of those things, and I've been doing it a long time too. I think that's one of the things that you know it's unusual for in this day. It's unusual to be in the same sort of organization for twenty two years. So that's that's true. Time. Yeah, that is really true that I, I think the great resignation gave us even more permission to uh, change jobs than maybe even we previously had. Um, so the great resignation is, uh, is kind of what has been referred to as this phenomenon or event that has happened uh, where a number of people have left their jobs um, <clears throat> since the pandemic began. Um, it happened 
predominantly kind of in 2021, um, when the pandemic first hit, not everybody necessarily left their jobs. Everybody was sort of in shock. And then, um, once things semi-stabilized, is the world really ever stable? Once things semi-stabilized, a lot of people, uh, made decisions to leave their job. Um, I've, in doing some more research around this, uh, I came across two other terms that people have used referring to the great resignation. Um, the big quitter. <laughs> that was not one of them, but okay. okay. Um, for workers, they considered it the great transition. And um, then others called it the great renegotiation. I like both of those better because they both don't sound like everyone just giving up. Well, yeah. And I think that's where the the name, the great resignation um, kind of gives us this false perception of what people were doing. Um, people, some people talk about it like uh, everybody's just boycotting work. Like, I don't need to ever work again. This is stupid. I'm done. Um, and that's not what the great resignation is about. It's not people just boycotting, uh, working, because uh, as adults, uh, unfortunately, that is one of the things that uh, most of us need to do to pay our bills: is be employed. Um, so, so, forty-seven million people in two thousand twenty-one voluntarily left their jobs. I read that too. And the interesting part of that statistic is that that's more than a quarter of the total workforce. In the United States, 47 uh -huh. million people in the it's, United States. I was going to say globally. 33% of the entire non-farm workforce quit their jobs in 2021. Think about that. Holy cow. I mean, that's a lot of people quitting their job. and. I, I don't know if we have the statistic of like how many people went to another job after that. Um, eventually. Well, when I combine that with the 67% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, I would say some of them. That's probably true. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it certainly is. Uh, I mean, there, you have a lot at play, right. In the scenario some of it some of it is meaning based like a, it was kind of a gut check the pandemic mm -hmm. life was like am i really doing what i want to do with my life mm -hmm. so, so some of it was that sort of existential like crisis that we all kind of went through some of it was uh practical reality like if you work in the food industry and before the pandemic you know you're like just kind of working along it's not an easy job at all but then when you, you discover the pandemic comes and you don't have any paid time off, you don't even have health benefits. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden your children are quarantined from school and can't go to school and you have to stay home, but you have no paid time off, no kind of leave at all. You go from having to uh, being fully employed to being unemployed overnight with no safety net. And and then if you did manage to stay on, people didn't go shopping anymore. People didn't go to grocery store and they didn't go to uh, to restaurants. And so with no safety net and low pay, you really were just sunk. So some people realized 
I'm not doing that anymore. I've got to have a job that has some kind of safety network. So, so some of it is a realization that our, our economic system here and how we undervalue employees and their security became really vulnerable in the, in the system. And so that, that makes us realize that, that people were leaving those jobs seeking more secure um, employment. And then you also saw when that happened, you saw wages increase. So once wages started to increase, it it crossed over and started to require people to leave their jobs because they could they could earn a bonus here or they could earn higher hourly rates. And so it became sort of this wave of of transferring to jobs and increasing payrolls. So it's a lot at play. What most interests me as a person, I mean, I I, I think it's it's sort of a mea culpa moment, you know with regard to how we care for our employees, how we employ them and care for them. And I think there's a moment where we need to reckon ourselves with the idea of health benefits and paid time off and child leave and all those sorts of things so that people could do their job and be secure in them. But but I'm also very, as a, as a person, a, a degree in psychology and theology, and is this, this sort of search for meaning in our employment and, mm-hmm. and how many people have made those kinds of transitions because they wanted a job that had more meaning to them, more substance, mm-hmm. more in their, what they're longing to do. That It's fascinating to me to see it in such large numbers. It's interesting to see uh, the perception by employers of why they believe people are changing jobs or quitting jobs, and then uh, surveying uh, employees of why they are changing or quitting jobs. And so employers are saying, okay, we believe that people are walking away or changing because they want more money. They want greater uh, uh, development opportunities um, and they want remote work. And what employees are saying is they want to be valued by the organization. They want a sense of purpose. They want to work with caring and trusting colleagues and they want a flexible schedule. Mm-hmm. This I mean, is, look at how opposite that is of what people think is what employees want. It is the number one thing we encounter in, in Evan and our, Evan and I run an organization that helps organizations be better. And the number one like finding we consistently find is this this uh, misconception of what your whether it's your employees or your church members or your students, like we have these misconceptions we have these assumptions that we have mm-hmm. about the other mm-hmm. and we know that assumptions are generally not 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 correct they're they're at least um not complete if not completely incorrect and but yet we still make management decisions based off of our assumptions we don't listen to those people we don't ask them what they really want and so we keep doing things um one of the most interesting there's a there's a study in um uh, in education where where principals and uh, like boards of education believed that teachers were leaving because they weren't paid well enough. And so they started, they did this study where they started to give teachers bonuses for performance and, and teachers still left sometimes at higher rates in mm. those bonus structures because it created a, an increased competitive nature. And so they lost camaraderie, they lost support they lost oh, the wow. sense of togetherness and meaningfulness in their work. And that teachers who are paid less 
but have a healthier leadership system, a more sense of belonging, a more cohesive work environment, they stayed, mm-hmm. even though they were paid significantly less than these other teachers. And it and it just goes to show you the same is true in nursing. It lots of lots of those sort of people-oriented jobs where people are more interested and will stay. And this is pre-pandemic. So yeah. just imagine the pressure in pandemic life where you really are searching for your own meaning. I mean, I think about uh, when I worked years ago at the homeless shelter, um, there, well, a group of us uh, that, I mean, kind of got nicknamed the dream team. We were a small of group of us. The dream team. <laughs> um, uh, there was a small group of us that, uh, I guess it was like five or six of us that ran the whole day shelter uh, for a while. And um, I, it was the hardest work I might've done in my career and the most stressful that I might've done. Um, the reason I was stayed there um, and kept doing it. And we all did is because I felt so connected hmm. to these other women that um, you could say one of our names and based on the inflection of how you said our name, you knew what the other person needed in that moment. Um, and we all said we were willing to put up with all sorts of things because we felt so connected and supported by one another. Um, and that culture among the five and six of us um, was probably the best immediate team work culture I have ever had. Um, And we all said we stayed, you know, probably way longer than we would have if we didn't have that connection. And the moment it started kind of breaking up, uh, all of us kind of trickled out. Yeah, there's, there's this idea, the idea that if you if you get people to really believe in who you are as an ex- organization, and there's a sense of camaraderie and solidification around that ideal, people people will give they'll work endlessly for you. They'll give mm-hmm. everything to it because they believe in it. They believe in each other, and they're willing to sacrifice for that because it's it's important. Uh, even making like, and it's not just like doing good in the world kind of jobs. It's it's even making manufacturing organizations too that had that sense of camaraderie and here's why we exist here's what we're doing and and that sense of camaraderie they'll stay for lower wages but if you don't have that then they will bounce for higher wages right have, if, in the absence of community money is the answer yeah i think i mean that sentence right there is key in the absence of community money is the answer that um there's baseline I, money right <laughs> like <laughs> Well, that's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. 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 Just, just, yeah. Like, okay. yeah. I, I'm just thinking back on all of the places that I have worked and that um, even being when I am told thank you and I am valued, it is not hard to work extra hours and do really hard things. Um, and the one job where I was told that I was replaceable. Um, oh. And all of us were replaceable. Oh, um, that's, that's a great opening line. <laughs> uh, maybe it was like dispensable, something like that. That's even uh, worse. <laughs> correct. Um, You're just a human tomato, resource. Tomato, tomato. I mean, uh, that really impacted how we worked and the culture of the environment. When we 
nothing we brought to the table. It was all about performance and not about us as human beings. Um, we all, I mean, the turnover was gigantic there. Um, and so I just think about how do we change culture and just value people more and even thank people more for mm. what they're contributing. Well, and I, I think I'll go back to what you started off with is how to, just as an organizational, as a leader within an organization, how do you start asking people what they need instead of assuming <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, it's really not that challenging because even what, what I've discovered is even when organizations where we ask and say, and we discover here are the things that people are interested in doing, even if you can't provide them, even if they're unrealistic, given the scenario that you're in, the mere fact that you asked creates a sense of buy-in. And mm-hmm. then it gives you some goals as an organization about where you're going and what you could do to retain your top performers or to, to keep your organization healthy, uh, whatever language you want to use. But if you never ask, you will never know. And you'll just keep doing things thinking that's the thing that will keep people and you keep losing them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Have you guys ever been in a situation where you realized that maybe where you were at wasn't a good fit anymore? Yes. In work? That's, oh, that was yes. like, that was that moment where you go, Oh, I'm going to need to think about a new work chapter. Okay, what is that? How does that? What does that look like? Hmm. Is it just sneak up on you, and or can you kind of see it coming down the road? Does it text you first to say it's coming <laughs> over? I wish more of life would do that. Like text me and give me a heads up that things are coming. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, listen, that's a tangent. Listen, I got so a job <laughs> just sent me. Oh, hold on. I got a fortune cookie. That this weekend that said you you are going shortly you are going to be rewarded for your hard work and when I walked outside the door of the Chinese restaurant there was fifty cents on the ground so I just I just want to say <laughs> that perhaps you just need to eat Chinese food a little bit more and get a fortune and then cookie. I will get those notices maybe yeah. it doesn't come yeah. via text message it comes from uh, fortune cookies can I can I yes. go off on a wild tangent. Why not? I since mean, it's you. Since we're, since it's me, and since we're recording in the morning, <laughs> I love Chinese food. Apparently, I know Michael does too, Lindsay. I'm just going to assume that because yes. you're human, you also love Chinese food. Yes. You realize it could be an undertap market Chinese food breakfast. everybody could see michael's face right now that there was both the oh they don't like excitement breakfast, and then because, concern at the same time right because i've actually eaten chinese breakfast and i it but but then so that was my first look and then the second was like <laughs> well what if we like filled wontons with scrambled eggs and bacon because that's what we would do yeah breakfast as, rangoon Oh, I think there's a market and I think you just officially uh, revealed your secrets. And now, I mean, you can't capitalize on it now, but. Um, Justin, that's... just bleep that whole section where I gave all <laughs> the business ideas. Because <laughs> I'm not talking about authentic Chinese breakfast, because obviously people eat breakfast 
but I mean Americanized Chinese food breakfast. Like, does Panda Express serve yes. breakfast? No. Not yet. But they they don't. At, they, at, actually, at Hartsfield International Airport, you can get breakfast at the Chinese restaurants. It's just scrambled eggs and omelets and stuff. There's no... See, that's a challenge. I mean, they, they haven't veered over and brought in some of the qualities of Americanized Chinese food into their breakfast. They need, it's got to be all fusions. Like, that's a meat like French fried toast, rice, yeah. sweet and sour omelets. Okay, Brown friends. sugar and cinnamon fried rice. I mean, there's some... We can that's good, it, yeah. Okay. Uh, can we get back to where we were? I think I'm going to resign. I'll take on this venture. <laughs> That's it. Okay, so <laughs> what we were talking about was, do you ever see it coming, or it sneaks up on you where you realize, I don't know if I, this is the right place for me anymore, or something needs to change here if I'm going to stay? For me, it's been both. Um, I think that you sort of see it coming in the fact that there's a few small things here and there that are unsettling. Mm-hmm. Um. And I kind of asked, like, can I live with this or does this bother me mm-hmm. or how can I fix this? Um, I don't always see it coming in when those things have built up enough that I've kind of discounted them as they're just gonna, they're just small things. And then it's like you wake up and have one day, at least for me. And I go, eh, that's too many. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm done. Um, or I just get this unsettled. This is where for non, uh, I don't want to say non-religious people because it happens to all sorts of people. But for me, like God unsettles my spirit in a good way, um, that there's no longer peace where I'm at. Um, and that nudges me to, uh, pursue other things. That was real churchy language, but um, there's something in my spirit that just no longer feels settled. You're um, allowed to use whatever language you want to use for your life, Lindsay. Thank you. I'm glad that my therapist uh, sentences and such have rubbed off on you. You can um, use both languages at the same time. Your language that one doesn't work so well. are, are neither good nor bad. They just are. Oh, my goodness. Tell me what you think about this languages wheel. Oh my goodness. Okay. I, I, I agree. <laughs> I, I personally, I've had, I've had kind of both experiences as I've continued in my career, they've been more subtle kind of like revelations that, that I mostly for me, it's been around challenge. Like mm-hmm. I get bored. I know this might surprise you, but I get bored what? doing things. And so I feel trapped. That's usually like, I feel like I'm like a caged animal, like I'm stuck in a system. And so I start looking for something new to do. Is boredom and, in the room with you right now, Michael? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it's right here. And and so your first step when you feel trapped and bored is to rearrange all your furniture, correct? That's exactly, that is absolutely correct. And so, and if anybody has not been a longtime listener uh, to our episodes, uh, we on... Um, at least one episode have talked about Michael's uh, and, and Evan uh, was Evan therapeutic was my, practice to Evan was at my uh, house yesterday. Yeah, Evan was at my house yesterday, and I got to show him 
my daughter has a whiteboard where she is constantly redesigning her bedroom, mm-hmm. moving the furniture with her optimal plan for what she wants to do next. So it doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> nope. <laughs> but, well, I mean, I think so. Yeah, that's exactly. So the first thing I do when I start to feel that feeling, it's like, okay, what can I do in my current setting that might offer some sense of change? <clears throat> mm-hmm. And so I'll experiment with some different opportunities to change within my, my setting, because sometimes it is me. Sometimes I'm getting comfortable. Sometimes I'm, I haven't done the things I could do. I'm not realizing the full opportunities that are around me. And so mm-hmm. I, as evidenced by this podcast, this is an outlet of creativity mm-hmm. within my job that I felt sort of stuck and wanted to do experiment with something else that kind of challenged me, put me outside of my comfort zone. And this provided provides still relief for that sense of being stuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then in my last job, I did that over and over and over again. And then I kind of reached a wall where I realized it's not me. It's us. It's this, this says I need something out of the system so that I could. <laughs> and I, this I, is it like a bad dating either. breakup. Yeah. It yeah. does feel like a breakup sometimes. <laughs> it, does. it does. It does. Cause you get, I get really committed to my work. I mean, no matter mm-hmm. what it is, I, I really, I really get committed. I get bought into it. I want to make it better and prove it and those sorts of things. But, but now earlier in my life, uh, when I was selling women's shoes at Dillard's, I just realized there's just a sudden <laughs> realization that this is not what I want to do. <laughs> I know you have told me that before, but it just, uh, my just brain doesn't, to... should hold that uh, fun piece of advice, uh, piece of trivia about you more I, often. I'm... And there, it gets even better. And we, I know that we've talked about this before, but I just think it's my sole responsibility on the planet Earth to remind people why he wanted to sell women's shoes at Dillard in college. And Michael, why was that? Because I wanted to meet my wife and I thought, she might be there buying shoes. Not that he had seen his current wife at Dillard's, so he applied for a job. No, 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 he no. He no. did this it before. to meet women. <laughs> what? What I didn't know, and this is no. What this is? I I don't want to put down any any younger women who shop at Dillard's for shoes, but in my particular Dillard's, ninety percent of my customers were in you know above above 50 and at the time I was 20 so it was just a little bit it it just didn't quite work out for me like I thought the dating pool was probably a little uh more available than you knew at the time yeah yeah so anyway we all have experiences in our working life that, that we just realized, you know, this is no longer for me. And it could be that it could be silly like that. Like for me, it was silly. Like how I, long into that job did it take you to say well, that? I am a committed employee. So I gave it a good solid, really solid six months. That was and, way longer than I thought you would say. Yeah, six months. I stayed six months. Well, because the money was really good. If I'm honest, the money was really good. Okay. Um, did you get and then after, I did. I did, yeah. Oh, you were moving some shoes. 
it, it we could really digress into my time at Dillard's. It was I don't even know if we can say it. I guess we can say it. This, this message is not brought to you by Dillard's. And I'm not a disgruntled I'm not a disgruntled employee. <laughs> I didn't know if when you left, you had to sign an NDA with Dillard's. <laughs> I think we need a whole podcast, just a uh, podcast episode, just on unpacking so, this more. Actually, anyway, this is, this is a perfect example of how I approach this because I, I was in I, six months. I stayed in women's shoes. I was like, okay, this is, this is not for me. I'm not going to do this anymore. I went to my manager. I was like, listen, I just, something's not right. I just, this is not my thing. Like it's not as enjoyable as I thought it'd be. I said, well, would you mind selling? why don't you try selling men's suits and see if, you know, it's a little bit better pay over there. And, you know, and it's like, okay, cool. And so I, I tried that for another three to four months uh, and incidentally set an entire Dillard's like company record of selling men's suits in one weekend. And then I was like, I don't, what? this isn't it either. And so I was like, that's, it just isn't fulfillment. And so then I left. So that, that idea of like testing the system, like, okay, maybe this particular area is not good for me. Let me try this before I just walk away. And then I just realized, no, it's, it's, it's not me. It's us. And we need to find a different occupation. My family, my dad specifically always uses the term fit that mm -hmm. two good things can just not be a good fit anymore. And that's okay. Right. That is it's just totally okay. It's it's just okay. You can have a great candidate for a job, and a great job, and they can everything could look right on paper, and it can just not be the right fit. And the same thing could be true with a job. It's mm -hmm. sometimes it's just not the right fit anymore. And I've always found that language really honoring of things because there's it almost does feel like a breakup where it's like, well, I need I need a reason to end this line of work. So I'm looking for all the bad things so that I feel good about my decision to leave that mm -hmm. things have to be bad for me to leave you know, and i think that there's that people can feel that way of in relationships right there, jobs, i think anything. there is i think there are a lot of people who feel like they can't leave a job unless it's really bad and that you're being selfish by saying this just isn't bringing me fulfillment and now, i will say fit. yeah it's just it doesn't fit for me and and that's okay it, it's interesting how we don't value people's uh, not just their autonomy, but some of their uh, uh, self-awareness to say, this is no longer fulfilling and giving me life and I need to look for something else. Um, it's thinking about the great resignation and how people have labeled it. Uh, again, as I said earlier, people have said, um, uh, people are protesting work. Uh, people are being wanting to be lazy people aren't loyal um, of why people are leaving. And I think that the pandemic caused increased self-awareness to say, okay, this is not the right fit mm -hmm. anymore. Um, and life is too short to uh, be in really kind of bad fits and uncomfortable places. And there might be something better out there. Hmm. Yeah, life is too short to be in bad fits and uncomfortable places. Now, I just want to recognize, though, that we all come at this from an enormous amount of privilege. Correct. I never, I never had to work a job 
I could find other employment as a, as a white upper middle class male, I had lots of opportunity. And so I could be a lot more selective about where I work and my criteria could be a lot more selective. Now, I think that brings up sort of a conversation about employment that I think is really important is where, whether you, there are two ways to think about employment. One, one place is that I seek my, my meaning, my substance out of my work. I think I do in my job. Mm-hmm. I'm going to look for a job. I've had a lot of meaning, a lot of fulfillment out of my work. I'm fortunate for that. Other people choose that, you know, I'm going to do a job so that I'm paid so I can live so that in my free time, I get to do what I love and, and bring fulfillment. So the, the, those are, there are, and then there are others yet still who just need to work because they don't have, they have to work and they have to work jobs that they don't like, that are really hard, that are stressful mm-hmm. on their families because they got to make ends meet. So there's all levels of employment. And I think what's interesting about the great resignation is that it affected across the board. It did mm-hmm. not matter whether you were in, in labor-oriented jobs or more leadership-oriented jobs like ours. You, There was not a, a an, an arena that was unaffected mm-hmm. by this resignation. Yeah. And the... Yeah, I'm just thinking about how it affected every arena of the across the board, people were having to make decisions of um, I need to pay my bills. And at the same time, I need to feel safe and valued. And when that inner turmoil is there, it impacts how we make choices. Um, Mm -hmm. I had a friend who was our waitress. Uh, at this restaurant that we frequented all the time, we became very good friends. We exchanged presents and birthdays and stuff like that. We just, we really got along a lot of uh, really well. And she enjoyed her job. She did it because she loved it. But when the pandemic hit, the realization that she had no paid time off and no, no medical benefits, her enjoyment for her work had to be set aside so that she so she could have some security of employment, which became more important mm-hmm. in that moment. And so it's interesting. It's not, you know, all the reasons that we, there, there are, it, there's not a singular reason why people resigned. It, it could be that they needed the security that wasn't in a job that they really enjoyed, or if they're in a job that they don't enjoy and they really want to be in a job that they do enjoy. And, and so it's, it's, it's not like a single thing that people are experiencing together, but it's, it's all kinds of different influences. So what do we do with this theologically? I mean, we can, we can, we've referenced some about purpose and, you know, where God might be calling us next, but what do we do about this theologically? I think it's really interesting because I've heard personally lots of different kind of responses that church leaders have had. I've heard pastors and talk sort of down on resignations. Like, why you just need to work, you know, making slight comments like, oh, nobody wants to work these days. And and so the church in a lot of ways, I think, has has guilted people back into the labor force. Mm -hmm. Or we hear a lot as people who work with young adults, there's a lot of shaming of millennials and generation Z 
uh, because they, they, you know, they're lazy. They want a job that provides meaning. And that that existed prior to the pandemic, but it was yes. amplified in the yes. resignation. So the church has not really been um, particularly helpful over or nice this or nice. Yeah, well, we seem to be naming in our episodes a common theme of uh, some underlying expectations, expectations and shame Meaning. that exists. Yeah, yeah. it's from it's, the church. It, it, and, and what we know is that when people express shame onto other people, it's because they, they live with their own internal shame mm-hmm. about themselves. And it's, it's a cyclic thing. Um, mm-hmm. Or that's how they experience growing up. Their parents shame to them often. And so the only way they know to communicate is through shame. Uh, so it's, it's, it's inherent in our system. But when we think about a, a sort of a theological framework for the resignation, I think there's some really interesting you know, stories uh, contained in in scripture about similar kinds of moments. So, for example, if you think of the calling of the disciples, James, John, uh, and there's a story where Jesus comes to them and and they're out fishing or they're they're tidying up, they're cleaning their ropes and folding them and cleaning up their fishermen. Now, what what what's interesting about the moment is because they're young adults, maybe teenagers, late teenagers, perhaps. Uh, who are doing a job, they, in essence, didn't reach the zenith of their career option, which was to become a rabbi at the time that the most, you know, revered profession for a young Jewish person was to become a male was to become a rabbi to, 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 to be a leader in the church, but they didn't, for whatever reason, didn't make it. And so they were in their family business of fishing. And interestingly, they're coming in and they hadn't caught anything. The whole day, the story says. And they're not even good at that. They're not even good at that, right? <laughs> I mean, how many times have I heard that? Like, oh, my son, you know, he's just living in my basement and he's, and he's got this job. He's not even good at that. You know, there's a, <laughs> there's, there's a storyline that I think we can latch on to. Mm-hmm. We failed out of this. The thing you, I wanted my son to be an engineer and he fell out of engineering school. Then he lived in my basement. Now he's working at Starbucks and he's not even good at that. You know, that's the same story today. And and Jesus finds these guys and they've, they've tidied up their whole thing. They haven't caught anything. And he says, go back out there and throw your nets on the other side. And they do. Mm-hmm. And they bring up this load of fish. And even though they are uh, uber productive in this moment, they fished on the other side rather than the, 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 the first yeah. side. Then they become really successful by all measure of fishing. And yet they still felt this discomfort that Jesus said, hey, you know what? leave these nets behind, leave this career behind and come with me. I see something in you. Uh, and I think we could do some, some interesting things together. And they leave the story says, mm. and they go. And, you know, all, all 12 of those disciples that, and, and plus the women who aren't accounted in that story have all left their careers or left their homes and start following and taking on this new career. And so that, I think that's an interesting one to, to see, to see that story lived out where we, I, I wasn't good at the thing I was thought I was supposed to be good at that told the society mm. told me it was number one thing for me to do. I also wasn't good at this old family thing. And I'm, I'm it's, it's not bringing me fulfillment and then I'm good at it. And then, Oh, there's this thing where I feel alive. I feel like I can contribute and I'm willing to give up everything to follow it. And so I think that's a really fascinating story. You think about great resignation and, what people need and what people are searching for and, and their ability to leave. Uh, there's another one that's sort of, sort of similar is that you've got uh, 
Zacchaeus, who uh, is oh, a yeah. uh, uh, a short dude, apparently. Uh, <laughs> How a wee, can you, a wee little man. Little man. <laughs> you it. cannot say the word Zacchaeus and have grown up in the church and not start That's singing right. the song in your head. That's right. But Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector, which is the only place in scriptures that reference chief tax collector. So I don't know what we take out of that other than he's really, he's really powerful. He's and a big deal. Really wealthy because mm-hmm. the way tax collecting worked in the time was there was a base rate. So let's say I got to collect uh, 3% of Evan's income. That's the, and that has to go back, back up the chain of command. Well, in order for me to make I'll a living deal, 3%. Yeah, yeah. Well, just wait in order for me <laughs> to make a deal. Cause I need to live Evan. The only way I make a living is to charge you 10% and I keep 7% and send 3% back up the hill. And, and so up the hill is the chief tax collector who then gets to keep that whatever portion of that, you know, it's a pyramid scheme. It's a biblical pyramid scheme. It's what it is. Uh, selling some kind of product. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And real boss, and babe. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, making all the money from <laughs> Jesus encounters this guy, Zacchaeus, who's at the top of the pyramid scheme, you know, relatively near the top. Mm-hmm. He's got a lot of people working for him and he's making money and he's disgruntled. He's unhappy. This isn't what he wanted to do. And it's not bringing him fulfillment in his life, even though he's in, in society standards, powerful and rich. Mm-hmm. He realizes he's unhappy and he leaves it all behind. He restores all the people he ever, uh, it leaves all, really all, it gives all his wealth back uh, and then starts following Jesus. So again, we, we encounter a story where someone realizes that what they're doing, even though in this case, they're measuring up in societal standards, they realize that their measuring up isn't bringing them fulfillment. And so they're willing to leave everything behind and, and follow this new career. There was a post. I really love Facebook. I'm addicted to Facebook. <laughs> this message is also not brought to you by Facebook. <laughs> I, I sorry, am. It's meta. I, I am. Meta. I am. And it's not anything to do with anyone that I know or care about. It has everything to do with the horrible stuff that gets posted and promoted on Facebook. I mean, it is just one big f- bot. Anyways, don't get me started. But there's Christian posts and Christian memes that are on Facebook. And there's they always try and take this inspirational slant. And if you have grown up in any capacity in the church, they are amazing. And one involves Zacchaeus. And I, it made me laugh so much that it, there's so much meaning in the story of Zacchaeus. I mean, you just like that parallel that you just mm-hmm. identified is so meaningful. The the way that you can be put in a situation that you think is going to make you happy, but you're dissatisfied, and you find that that isn't ultimately where you find your fulfillment, and your identity isn't just in your work. So you know you need to make a change, and then God can call us to repent. Like that is that's that's an incredible story. So this, what this post was doing was identifying characters in the Bible and some of the things that made it challenging for God to use them, right? Mm-hmm. That, and that's it. Okay. So they had like, Abraham was old. Noah got drunk. David had an affair. Jonah ran away from God. Gideon was insecure. Moses stuttered. Sarah was impatient. Elijah was depressed. Jacob was a cheater. Martha was a nervous wreck. Miriam was a gossiper. Peter had a temper. Like all of these things right paul was a murderer thomas was a doubter and then they get to zacchaeus <laughs> was he short 
Zacchaeus was short. <laughs> That's what they pick. And Lazarus was dead. <laughs> and then it, the post says, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And the last two that you end on is Zacchaeus was short. And Lazarus was dead, so God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. What did he do? Make him taller? <laughs> also, um, I, I mean, your height does not impact whether you are good or not well, at your job. I just, I just want to say for my Aunt Pam, if you're listening, who's, who's short, you too can be qualified <laughs> in your calling. <laughs> All of these things are character traits or, you know, things well, that and, we and, struggle and with. The, and the and thing then they is, hit Zacchaeus was short. Zacchaeus is, that's not the thing. That's, yeah. His height is not the thing. No. It's nothing no. to, it's, it's a minor, it's, it's why he was in a tree. That's literally it. Yeah. Maybe but, he was in a tree because the crowd was giant sized and see, he nobody would put him on his shoulders. It's, it's, it's lost <laughs> in our lack of understanding of the of the story. The point mm -hmm. is that Jesus, so Zacchaeus runs, which is not permissible. Like now, yeah. us, especially if you're affluent, you you go run to be healthy because you can. We used to run because we had to. Now, <laughs> if you you know if you're healthy and you want to go, I don't. I I dissuade people from running i think it's it's just not not good for you but <laughs> no, i don't <laughs> you go run for it for for health purposes right but but that would not happen in this scenario zacchaeus running mm -hmm. was an embarrassment to his identity he was wealthy he was powerful and he did not run mm -hmm. and then he goes to the sycamore tree and the sycamore tree is known as a place for the for the poorest of poor people to hang out under the shade of the tree so he he runs what he's not supposed to do, he goes to the place of the poor people, and then he climbs the tree to see over to see Jesus. So it has nothing to do with the fact that he's short. Uh, I mean, I guess that's just an added caveat to the story. I think it's an interesting story. It makes a great little song. But it's it's all the things he had to do to leave his old self behind mm -hmm. to embrace his new self. Well, and can you imagine what other people were saying when his one life that was comfortable in some standards and might've been uncomfortable in others. Um, uh, when he no longer feels fulfilled by that, his value system has changed what he values and how he wants to spend his time and energy and what's important to him is different. And so he has, he decides to make a change. Mm -hmm. Um, and, I think that that is a beautiful embodiment of uh, an example of so many people in the great resignation, that there has been a value shift, that new things are important. Uh, our eyes have been opened to things that are different and what we deem as important and valuable has shifted. Mm. Yeah, and your decision, I think you come to a decision like, are you willing to withstand that that discomfort to stay in the career that you're in for whatever reason? There are lots mm -hmm. of reasons. Maybe maybe uh, you know you stay in it because it's a good income and I've got freedom to do the things that really are valuable to me as a as a family person, as a community person, uh, or 
<clears throat> or you realize I just can't, I can't do this anymore. I, I want to say that neither one of those decisions is wrong. No, not at all. And, and um, for anybody listening, like neither decision is a wrong decision. You make the decision that feels the best for the season that you're in. Yeah, I, I think, and I just acknowledge and give yourself permission to do those things. Mm-hmm. And and so for those of us who were looking at this great resignation with this, you know, like peer of like looking over a fence with sort of disgust at what our neighbor is doing, which is what it feels like people are, are doing, uh, mm-hmm. just realize that some people make different decisions than you. They, they and, and they're in different scenarios than you are. They couldn't, they could no longer work an hourly wage with no protection, with no safety net for them because they had a family and people to care for. Um, or maybe maybe they're leaders who work for a company that no longer brings them meaning and under the pressure of the pandemic realized this is no longer me. If I, I have this, this, this one life that I get to live and I wanna use my skills for something that, that brings me meaning. Both of those are very valid and good reasons to make a change in your life. I will say that we're touching on um, the great resignation as a whole. Uh, and we haven't necessarily focused on, cause we want this to be, you know, approachable to everybody. We haven't necessarily focused on uh, why the rate of women resigning was higher. Um, and, and that could be an entire episode unto itself. There's almost too much to say there. Um, but I just want to say that we acknowledge that it was also a very different experience for men and women. Absolutely. And your ability to get back into the workforce too mm-hmm. is radically different than mine. And, and the pressure of uh, who needed to stay home with children um, and who should stay home. And uh, those were hard decisions. And a lot of women emotionally took the brunt of that and made the decisions to stay home, uh, to care for children and their families. Um, so I just wanted to make sure that we put that caveat out there that we didn't forget about that here. We just wanted to talk about the broader sense of all of this. Yeah. And I, I think I also want to acknowledge only because not only because, but especially because, uh, last night, uh, we had a group of us, there were nine of us going to eat dinner. We went to one of my favorite local restaurants, it's right by my house. And we came in, it's like, there's nine of us. And uh, they said, I'm sorry, we can't serve you tonight. We we're shorthand, short staffed, and we don't have enough capacity mm-hmm. to serve, serve your table of nine. And I just in that short interaction with the manager, I could just see the desperation on her face, mm-hmm. the exhaustion and the desperation on her face. And so I recognize that, that those of you who are leadership of these organizations where you experienced tremendous turnover and, and loss of employment and are struggling to make ends meet and struggling to, to provide for your employees. Um, I recognize, I see, I see you and I, I, I do, I see how challenging I can't imagine, you know, I've experienced really challenging things in my life. I cannot imagine what you're going through in this particular moment with these pressures on your system, especially if you work for a big corporation and you feel stuck because you can't make the changes you see mm-hmm. need to need to happen and you're losing employees and people that you really appreciate and, and love working with for other careers. So there's there's a lot going on in this system. It's just not as easy to just point it at the employees and their 
either their laziness or the desire for meaning, but he also got employers who are struggling to try to make ends meet and live into this new economy that's just 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 radically changing all the time. Mm-hmm. So hang in there. Just like that. Cat oh, that was it. <laughs> I was thinking of the cat, the, the cat poster in elementary school that just was like clinging. Or to in the like wall. every doctor's office. Yes, hang in there. Thank you, thank you. Just, oh, just goodness. as an aside, Evan, I I read an article that it uh it, that last in the last two years since 2020, uh that like 90 percent of Christian memes, and and articles that Christian, particularly evangelical Christians shared, 90% of them came out of Russian bot farms, which I just find utterly fascinating. Utterly fascinating. So it makes me wonder. It would have an interest in dividing us and destabilizing (laughs) our social structure. Who would would do such (laughs) a thing? I'm just saying it's possible that a Russian bot farm is what name Zacchaeus is being short? <laughs> Russian bot farms are Christians okay. too. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I just shake my head about how much we get off track, and it's loosely on topic. Yeah, explore well, unique tangents. <laughs> Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Listener, we hope you are doing well. We appreciate you taking the time to listen, and uh, we enjoyed getting to converse with each other, and uh, hopefully you are doing well. Uh, if if you're in the car, drive safe. If you're not in the car, walk safe, sit safe, listen safe, whatever it is. We, I just wanted to – if somebody's listening to this in the car, they're like, oh, my gosh, they're talking to me. No, we hope you're doing well, and uh, we want to say a big thanks to uh, Justin Patton for producing this episode, uh, and thanks, Michael and Lindsay, for all your thoughts and your friendship. We will see you guys next episode. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.